0: Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Ayman El-Amri. Based in Paris, Ayman is a cloud architect and DevOps proponent who has worked as the head of IT and DevOps at a Parisian startup and is the founder and CEO of Era Labs, a consultancy working with companies around the world. Ayman is the author of three LeanPub books, SaltStack for DevOps, Extremely Fast and Simple IT Automation and Configuration Management, Painless Docker, Unlock the Power of Docker and its Ecosystem, and The Jump Start Up, a practical handbook for leading agile and DevOps transformation. Iman also blogs at medium.com slash at EON01, and you can follow him on Twitter at EON01. In this interview, we're going to talk about Iman's background and career, professional interests, his books, and at the end we'll talk a little bit about his experience writing as a self-published author. So thank you, Iman, for being on the LeanPub podcast. Hi, Len. Thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for taking some time out of a, a uh, Parisian evening to talk to me uh, yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. Um, so I usually like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Can you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you first became interested in computers and software?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Well, I, I grew up in Tunisia. It's a small but a very beautiful country in North Africa. Uh, given the name, people may think that it's Indonesia, but the pronunciation is quite similar. It's Tunisia. <laughs> Uh, my story with computers and software started when I was young uh, with video games and consoles. And I guess it's uh, the same thing like the majority of people from my generation. I had uh, an Atari console and uh, even with its low graphics, it was and it's, it's still one of the best consoles that I played with. And I was also a huge fan of Sega Mega Drive Console and Sonic video games and I remember my debate topics with my friends at uh, at this time it, it were all about which is the best video game character Mario or sonic and I got my strong opinion on this. Uh, the first time I started coding, uh, it was when I first, uh, when I was probably 13 or 14, and I created a small arcade uh, game. Uh, it was strongly inspired from uh, Mario and it was uh, with one of my friends that was like doing uh, social coding and pair programming at that age. Well, it was really funny for me to code my own game, even if it was very basic. And uh, at this time I started to be uh, more interested in programming and the fact also that my father is a a telecommunication engineer and my uncle had a computer store, helped me a lot to start programming at an earlier age and my made my interest um, to computers and software grow faster. I had also the chance to get an early access to internet when there were only few websites like Alta Vista and yahoo Lycos, etc i was I was always curious about how internet works, so I started to move my interest from video games to web development and uh, system and uh, network administration. So so this is how I became passionate about computers and software.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what the education system is like in Tunisia and your path through it? In your LinkedIn profile under high school, when I was researching for this interview, I noticed you list a bachelor in mathematics and computer science, which might be an unfamiliar thing to do in reference to high school to many of our North American listeners.
1: Yes, uh, there are probably some differences between the education path in my birth country and the North American countries. Uh, For me, it's more similar with some European countries, but we do have the primary school, the college, the high school. Um, the university, the master and PhD degrees, etc. But for your question about the bachelor uh, degree, well, after the college education, students have the choice to follow a branch for the high school. For me, I made the choice of following the branch of mathematics and IT. Uh, over other fields like the natural science, literature, or economics. And my choice was motivated by the fact that I always wanted to continue studying software engineering uh, in the university. So after four years in high school, uh, students uh, should take a national exam called baccalaureate. Yeah, the, the, the word origin is French, right? And in my LinkedIn, I translated this to bachelor. So during this exam, all students must take, regardless of their field of study, uh, many exams in different subjects like mathematics, philosophy, computer science, etc. And the, the diploma is most probably the equivalent of U.S. high school plus uh, the first two years of U.S. university. Well, after this diploma, I've got a university degree in computer networks and uh, telecommunication, uh, followed by a diploma in IT engineering and a master degree in the same field. Uh, then I moved to Sweden after that, and uh, where I studied something really different from what I studied before, which is uh, social innovation in a digital context and it 's a master program focused on these field, on the fields of digital technology, uh, new media, and socio political change so f- for me, studying was really funny, but I was uh, the lazy guy who studied at the end of the year just a few days before the final exam. After Tunisia and Sweden, and uh, now uh, I'm living in Paris since a few years, I'm not studying here in Paris. It's time now to earn a living, and I'm working on the fields of cloud computing and software engineering, and I started my own companies and projects.
0: You mentioned that eventually you completed a master's degree in software engineering. Was that an experience you would repeat? I have talked to many people on this podcast about their opinions concerning the importance of... uh, or. importance of not getting formal training in software as a way of preparing for a career as a software engineer. And about half say that if they were starting out now, they would not do a university degree.
1: Yeah, I don't have a yes, no answer for this, but I think that it depends on many things like the motivation and the goal of every one of us. If you'd like, for example, to become a doctor, you should finish your studies. No one will go to a self-taught doctor, right? But in this specific case of software and IT, I see that they make a difference between software development and software engineering for some uh, For someone having uh, the goal of uh, becoming a software developer, I think that having a university degree is not really something that could add, add much value to his career, but a practical training would be would fit better probably this goal. But if someone would like to to do a software engineering role, I think that university is important. Plus, you should have some practical trainings. Uh, In my case, during my university years, I studied a lot of mathematics and physics. And even if they were not uh, my main field, but they were like gymnastics for, for the brain. So that's why I think that studying in general and the university specifically could teach us an important thing, which is the skill of learning how to learn. I don't say that um, university is the best place to learn, but it could be a relatively good uh, good part of our learning path.
0: You mentioned you spent a year at Lund University in Sweden earning a diploma in social innovation in a digital context. Can you talk about that program and what drew you to it?
1: Sure. Yeah, it's a one-year master's program, and it's carried out by the Internet Institute of Lund University. It's um, it's a university in Malmo in the south of Sweden, and this program uh, supports social and digital innovators from many countries, and uh, it supports these innovators to pursue projects in the fields of digital technology and uh, new media. Um, some years ago, I started building uh, a, so- a small social network uh, with the goal of experimenting how it could be helpful for local and direct democracy. So I was interested in this kind of projects and how we can use technology to make social change happen. And having similar projects was one of the criterias to be accepted in this master program actually. So I was interested and curious about this. I applied and I was uh, accepted. Um, Now, there is a tool called Democracy OS, uh, and there are many other tools, and Democracy OS, for example, is uh, a tool that is quite similar to the project I started before. And this master programs was really a good experience for me.
0: This may seem like a bit of a random question, but do you believe that people should be able to vote in elections over the internet? I'm asking particularly in the context of concerns in the United States about foreign election meddling and the ongoing discovery of major security flaws such as the meltdown inspector flaws. Even if we could have a perfect technology, it seems like online voting would be a special kind of target for people to make claims about election meddling, even where none existed, which is just another form of meddling, of course.
1: Yeah, it's a random but interesting question. I think that one day people will be able to make 100% of votes online. And there is actually no system with zero flows. But this is also could be applied to any offline system like the traditional voting system. So I think that... The major, the major obstacle of online voting is not just the security, but also the culture. Like, like you said, uh, people could claim about election meddling even when none existed. So they are used to the classical way or the traditional way of voting. And the main problem with moving to an online voting is primarily cultural before being technical. So I believe that um, some technologies uh, right now, like blockchain, have a great potential and may change the way we vote. So if people accept to change their culture uh, regarding some critical events, like uh, the elections, I think that they believe that technology will follow.
0: Uh, you're the founder and CEO of AeroLabs, a cloud and DevOps consultancy based where you are in Paris, that does work for companies around the world. What's the origin story of AeroLabs?
1: Yeah, AeroLabs uh, is a consultancy company and a one-stop shop for DevOps projects and cloud-based projects. We are based in Paris, but many of our customers are in U.S. actually. Um, before AeroLabs, I worked with many companies from small to uh, large organizations in many countries in different roles and acquired uh, a good experience during these years. But I, I always had a will. To achieve greater things and uh, creating Air labs was the first step. Now I'm happy to provide my DevOps services to many companies, and some of them are in the top 10 world-class companies, and this is really rewarding and motivating for me.
0: You're also a founder of DevOps Links,
1: a community for people in IT and DevOps. Can
0: you talk a little bit about what DevOps Links is and how the community has developed?
1: Yeah, I like communities and working with communities to achieve uh, common goals. This is actually why, I'm, why I am why I am a huge fan of open source and free software. And DevOps links is also a community that um, I started 2 years ago or probably a little bit more. Um, we have a weekly newsletter where I hand-curate uh, must-read articles and tutorials, a Slack channel where everyone could ask and find answers about DevOps, Cloud, uh, CI, CD, etc. We have also a Medium publication, a job board, uh, jobs for devopscom and I am working on other projects like a collaborative community blog. Uh, when I started this project, DevOps Links, we were a few tens, and now we are a few thousands, and each day people, new people are joining, and it's a pleasure to see that the community is growing, actually. I'd like to say hello, by the way, to DevOps Links members.
0: <laughs> um, one of the privileges of this podcast is that I get to talk to people from all over the world, and I wanted to ask yeah. you, what's the startup scene like in Paris these days?
1: Yeah. Uh, I consider Paris as one of the most growing startup hubs. Uh, and there are many startups here from deep tech to IoT to fintech. Uh, during the five last years, the number of incubators and accelerators remarkably increased. And this is uh, really interesting. Uh, some of these startups move to U.S. actually at a certain stage, but this doesn't prevent the others from innovating and growing.
0: What's the story behind your book uh, SaltStack for DevOps extremely fast and simple IT automation and configuration management I'm I'm curious what inspired you to write it
1: Yeah yeah this is uh, this was my first book and uh, SaltStack is a, a data center orchestration and configuration management tool uh, that helped me a lot in one of my previous experiences Uh, We were uh, a team of 14 engineers working on a big project. If I remember the right numbers, it was a project with two different versions. One of them is a legacy version, Uh, 12 different environments. And each of these environments has three sub environments, environments, testing, staging, and production. Uh, SaltStack helped me to manage the configuration of all of these uh, projects and environments and sub environments. And orchestrate how all of uh, the these works. Um, at that time, I found that the official documentation was not enough for me, so uh, I was looking for some online books. And the first book that I was that I found was on linpub. and it was uh, a free book, but it was not enough, and it was not really complete. So. Uh, so I decided to, to write a book about this tool, actually. and I made my first sale just a few hours after publishing it, and it was really awesome. The first sale, actually, is, the, is always the best sale. <laughs> we never forget it.
0: <laughs> um, in your Painless Docker book, you write about how, uh, quote, developers think they are here to serve the machines, end quote. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I remember this. Uh, in my previous experiences, I worked as a system administrator, but also as a developer. And during these years, I always noticed that there are always conflicts between these two teams. So I wrote I wrote about the common idea that developers think that they are here to serve the machine or to feed it each period with of time with a fresh code to deploy. The machine is hungry and should eat. Otherwise, it will stop working and the boss will be angry. I wrote also about system administrators who think that mm, machines should be happy, feeding the machine will make it sick and angry, especially with obsolete code. It will stop working and the boss will be angry too. So it was like an ironical way to describe the conflicts between developers and system administrators. And it was an opportunity for me to introduce DevOps and cross team collaboration for the reader to the reader, sorry
0: in the jumpstart up you write that quote uh, how innovative is my product is not more important than how am i developing developing it end quote can you talk Mm -hmm. about why that is particularly true now um you write Mm -hmm. also about how the digital world is changing its formula
1: Yeah. Uh, in our time, if you think about an idea or a product, uh, even the most innovative one, I'm sure that there is someone else who had the same idea before you. So the idea is not really as important as how you are going to realize it. After some months or, or, or years of development, some startups may encounter some technical problems that could be blocking for, the, for their growth. So I've, I've seen also some, some of this in my previous experiences. So the best way, I think, to solve these problems is avoiding them and asking this question at an early stage. How am I developing my idea or my product? And here I am talking about scalability problems and technical limits of uh, the developer product, the best development practices, the security in mind, and the uh, technological choices.
0: And um, what do you mean when you talk about infrastructure as code?
1: I mean, all the processes to manage and provision infrastructure using code. Tools like SaltStack, Ansible, Terraform, or um, Amazon CloudFormation are actually infrastructure as code tools. And in my humble opinion, a real DevOps transformation, especially for big companies, cannot be done without using infrastructure as code. It's quite, It's. I think it's impossible to do. DevOps transformation without this, so because it allows uh, any organization to track all the changes uh, on the infrastructure, since it's managed using a code, and since the code could be versioned like uh, like uh, any software code using uh, systems like Git, so the complexity of managing and running infrastructure is reduced to managing code and configurations, which is actually easier, faster, but also shareable across teams.
0: Um, Can you tell me a little bit about how you found out about LeanPub and why you chose us for your publishing platform? Um, As I understand it, you had offers from conventional publishers to write books with them.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I said, I found Limperb the first time when I was searching for a book about salt. Uh, I didn't find a good one, so I decided to write my own. Now I had some offers uh, from conventional publishers, publishers to write uh, new books for them, or to publish two of my Limperb books uh, with them. But until now, I didn't accept any offer because I prefer freedom and less uh, like conditions. So I'm working on other projects, actually, like transforming my books to online trainings uh, for B two C and B two B customers. So painless Docker uh, training, for example, could be found at painlessdocker.com, and probably in the future I'll do the same with the uh, with my books Hot Stack for DevOps.
0: You publish your books while they're still in progress. What do you find attractive about this way of publishing?
1: Yeah, Limpub helped me a lot with the Limpub publishing and I'm thankful for this. I tested my first book using Limpub and for me it was a success because it was the first book. So I published the second, and I'm still publishing the third. Now I am working on my online uh, academy and um, what I like about uh, Leanpub is the lean. Uh, I'm passionate about DevOps because it incorporates many lean principles, like the continuous improvement. And for me, Lean publishing is about three things. First, it's about testing the market. And at the second place, it's about self motivation because selling your book uh, while it's in progress brings a lot of motivation. And finally, it's about continuous improvement uh, based on the continuous feedback from the readers.
0: That leads me to my next question, which is, um, is communicating with readers important (laughs) to you and how do you manage feedback from readers?
1: Yeah, to me, communicating with my readers is um, probably the most important thing or more important than anything else. And in order to keep in touch with my readers, I simply add an email to the book preface and I also invite them to join Uh, my community or my newsletter uh, or the uh, community Slack, Team Chat. Uh, My last question is always, if there was one problem
0: with LeanPub we could fix for you or one feature we could build for you, what would you ask us to do?
1: Yeah, I talked about the continuous improvement based on continuous feedback, and I think that having a system of annotation, uh, using it, the reader could annotate and comment a paragraph or a sentence, and could also add suggestions or questions. Um, These kind of tools could help in having a continuous feedback and producing uh, customer-based or reader-based uh, and feedback-driven quality books.
0: Thanks for that very, very clear um feedback. That's yeah. really, really helpful to us to hear about that kind of thing um uh from, from really really smart mm. authors. Um well I wanted to to thank you, Iman, very much for being on the Lean Pub Front Matter podcast and for being a Lean Pub author, and I wish you more first book sales and mm. in the future.
1: Thanks. This was really fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks.